All right, we're back. Um, how was your 420? <laughs> I'll let you know when I'm through it, but uh, <laughs> I've I've got quite the supply ready. What do you mean? We're we're taping this. I mean, we're not taping this. This is live and direct on a Saturday morning. So, you so you want me to tell how you how my 420 was? No. Okay. okay. All right. So, what do you have planned for 420? Maybe you should tell. The audience, um, what is 420 for those of you who don't know what 420 is and why it is every single holiday wrapped in one for you? <laughs> well, um, since developing the Africanada Bud Sisters and my alter ego, Miss Weed Wiki, um, 420 has taken on a an entirely new meaning. Honestly, I had never celebrated it before. Um, despite using cannabis pretty regularly for the last three, four years. Mm. Um, matter of fact, I hadn't even heard of 420 before maybe 2012, 2013. Okay. And when it was described to me, it sounded alien. Like, it just, I think because of my exposure to, to cannabis had been in kind of, you know, Caribbean or Jamaican circles, mm, 420 mm. just didn't seem to jive with what my image and impression of cannabis in cannabis culture was. So it was more of a pineapple express stoner exactly. culture. Exactly. Right, right, and right. Um, whereas for me, my stoner culture is, you know, hip hop movies. And, mm. you know, if you smoke enough to make it through Soul on the Plane. I mean, Snakes Soul, on the Plane. Snakes Soul on Plane, the plane. Snakes on the plane. the plane. They're both bad. Uh, that sounds like a double feature. Soul Not- Plane. So anyway. Are you going to defend Soul Plane? No, I'm not. But. There's this thing where at some point in my son's life, he just thought old black people were so funny and he just used to laugh at them. So I just remember that particular one. I I think John Witherspoon was in it and he was just killing himself laughing. Anyway, I digress. Um, So anything specifically that you're doing or Um, in terms of events or? I'll be doing an IG live with my biz partner, Natalie, of Growing with Natalie. And um, because she just finished her two-year horticulture program. Okay, right on. She went back to school at age 50 um, to get her college diploma in horticultural technician. So, yeah, we'll be doing a 420 sesh and just talking about... You know, what we want to do next uh, for women in cannabis and normalizing cannabis for black women across the country. Okay. So, I I mean, I I think that is a perfect segue to to one of the things we're talking about today because you're talking about stigma of cannabis in society. Um, one One of the things I wanted to talk about was the stigma of mental health in the black community, getting help going into therapy, what that looks like. Um, Because I think there's definitely a disconnect in terms of of our community. And one of the reasons that I wanted to talk about this was um, last week when, you know, Shalice was here and and we kind of started talking about um, Insecure when there was that episode where Nathan just disappeared. Yes. And, um, you know, he came back and he said, look, I was going through problems, anxiety, depression. And then, you know, she lost it. And, you know, one of the things I was saying to Shalice was, well, you know, it's it feels like mixed messages, right? Like you want men to become emotional and be emotionally available. But when we tell you that, you know, we were going through stuff, then we get ripped. And Shalice corrected me in saying, well, where he went wrong was he didn't communicate to her. 
that he was going through. So, um, but you know, that kind of had me thinking about, you know, we need to have a conversation about that. And what I wanted to do was have a conversation talking about, you know, and and you know, I'll I'll let you share at at May in terms of what you want to share to relate to it. But it was more, I wanted to share it in terms of awareness for the community but also to talk about my journey and how I arrived there um, because I think I arrived there in a very kind of up and down way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took me a while to get there, but I finally got there and I, I, I think it's, it's really good. Um, I, I, I think that mental health or, you know, self-care or, you know, taking care of yourself is one of those things that was always perceived in the black community as, you know, we're too busy working. We're too busy having two and three jobs. We have real problems. We have threats from external predators out there. And white people have time to go to therapy because they have so much time in their hands. So they can just kind of, you know, worry about their dogs and yoga, as Common says, and then focus on that. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, with that, we always thought that it was a luxury to go to therapy, right? Um, so, you know, before you, like, what are, what are your earliest recollections of hearing about therapy and what were your kind of initial thoughts in terms of what that meant for the Black community and to, uh, you know, a large extent yourself? Thank you. That's actually a great question. My first, I don't think we can talk about therapy without talking honestly about mental health and mm. mental illness. Right. Our community, through the vestiges of colonialism, slavery, and, you know, being uprooted and and put here, um, we are the last or very low on the totem pole to access mental health resources. Mm, mm. So we get diagnosed last, we get misdiagnosed, but our history with psychiatry and mental health support in North America isn't the greatest. And I'm right. speaking from being a multi-generational Canadian mm. and growing up hearing stories of my great-grandmother having shock treatments Whoa. at the, Do- the Douglas Institute, which she was, it's the Douglas Institute now, but it was called the Douglas Mental Hospital right, in Montreal. Right. Right. And uh, my cousin to this day still remembers going to visit uh, the, our great grandmother. This was would have been before I was born, mm-hmm. but she remembers how haunting that building was. That's the thing too with mental illness. Um, historically, we would be associated with being, you know, held against our will or you know, public breakdowns requiring intervention. Right. And so um, that probably would make us want to misdiagnose or avoid getting um, small issues addressed until they get bigger, Mm. until we get to crisis. Um, I also think uh, with all the socioeconomic pressures and adding availability of illegal and drugs, and drugs, and I'm not talking about cannabis, I'm talking about the, even the drugs that were used to escape what we're going through, self-medicating, all those things are uh, giving us ways to avoid dealing with the core issues. Okay. Um, but personally, my exposure was um, through whenever, when my parents were splitting. Okay. So when they were splitting, uh, I was a teenager and my brother was five years younger, around eight, nine years old. So 
we had to go through court mandated counseling sessions for that stuff. And I'll be honest, my takeaway from it wasn't good because I went in thinking I was led to believe I was going to do it to, um, for them to determine who I should live with. Mm. And, you know, I was 14. I was able to articulate, I want to live with my father. I want to live with my father. These are the reasons why. And that same uh, psychologist delivered a report saying, recommending I live with my mother. So I felt violated. I Mm. felt like uh, nobody was listening. Like your agency got took away. Completely, right? Because I was under the impression it was for one thing. And now 40 years, 30 years later, I can understand in family law situations, my mother was paying with her lawyer for a report to support her position for custody. It was never about getting me actual help to transition through this type of trans right. family transition. It was to leverage in a custody battle. So okay. um, I think we have to be honest about as a community when we get exposed to therapy, it's after traumas, it's after crisis. Mm. So it's kind of hard to want to go seeking it if you think you're not in a crisis, right? Yeah. We're so used to being putting out fires, right? Yeah, and I and I think that, you know, just, just kind of as I was thinking about this kind of episode and, and kind of what that looked like, you know, growing up in, in the Bahamas was there was always this saying that if you had a nervous breakdown, um, you know, and, and we, we, we talked about a nervous breakdown, we ta- but we talked about it in the concept of you had a nervous breakdown to where you snapped. Like when people, I heard a nervous breakdown, I, I didn't know what it was. It was right. like, did somebody wake out? Like, what did that mean? And all that meant was, you know, somebody then obviously wasn't diagnosed as clinical depression, but, you know, they got to that point where it's just like everything just shut down. Yeah. They're in bed, you know nothing can can kind of help them from that um and you know and as i kind of went through you know my journey of understanding what depression is the different levels of depression then i started to think about my mom and i started to think about those were the days where she could not get out of bed like you know she used to have those depression naps and people used to come over and help just because and and just not understanding that right right we thought she didn't feel well um, and attaching feeling well to physically not feeling well, but not, you know, the, the mental aspect of that. Um, and I think that, you know, as, you know, uh, and one of the things I really wanted to talk about in terms of that is then there's that stigma that it's just women, right? Yeah. Even within the community. And until, you know, my dad passed, I was, you know, going through his stuff and cleaning out his stuff. And I came across some correspondence that he had with my uh, my kid sister, mm-hmm. and he talked about, and I never kind of thought like there was mental illness there with him or depression or anxiety. And he was not one who kind of ta- emoted or expressed kind of thing, but he was closest to her, and he was saying, "You know, I feel so lonely. I feel so alone. I feel so depressed. I feel, you know." So in the last years of his life, I'm reading this, and I'm like, "This is crazy, right?" Yeah. So, but then something dawned on me to be like, okay, like automatically I thought like, okay, does that mean now both of my, both of my parents are like that? Um, I going to get the double whammy? Am I going to pass it on to my kid? What does that look like? Um, and I think, you know, for me, when I, I, I knew that I needed to go and talk to somebody was, you know, at, at a certain point in my life, I was like, work was a stressor, money was a stressor, 
you know, making sure that my son got into a good school, making sure that I paid for that. Money was always a stressor for me. And I, I always tied what I was going through to like something functional. And when I got to the point where everything was fine, I got the job I wanted. I went, you know, went to sleep and woke up for the first time, not even thinking about money. Yeah. He was in the school that he wanted to be in. His, it, everything was paid. And I still felt like that. And when I looked around and I was like, wait a minute, everything is the way I wanted it to be. And I still feel like that. Um, you know, kind of that, that was where it was like, okay, I need to, to go and kind of talk to somebody. So I wanted to talk to you about the selection mm-hmm. of a therapist and what were some of the criteria, um, and I'll follow on with it in terms of, you know, the stuff that I went through, but I wanted you to set the stage in terms of, you know, maybe talking about the, the different therapists you had, what worked, what didn't, what were you looking for, and kind of coming out of that, you know, what was the right fit for you? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think over the years, therapy, I would go to therapy when I would be dealing with depression, mm. like major depression, um, lost motivation or an inability to, when I felt my function was deteriorating. I am mm. um, very used to being so high functioning that when it's off, it's really off. Yeah. Um, and living four or five hours away from my parents, mm. they weren't my mental village, if I'm being honest. Right. So um, when crises happen, I'd go to therapists. Now, let's be honest, in my 20s, I didn't make the money that I make now. Mm. So access to therapy was pretty limited. It was either through work programs, which were starting to come out in the mid-90s, late-90s, um, or through like uh, the region, say region of Peel, you could go through family services right, and they right. would give you a scaled rate. Um, w- I learned too that I had an issue with social workers because my mother was right. a social worker. Right. So I would have a natural like reluctance because of my own biases based on my relationship with my mother. Mm. It, w- it made it an extra block for me to go through. But I think depending on what you're going for the therapy for, your needs, they become more refined as you get older, such that I found later, I knew what kind of therapist I wanted. I wanted someone that was going to make it easier for me to relate things to without me having to explain the whole story. Right, 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 right. And that's Part of what Just like made from a me, cultural context. For and instance. that's exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. why I'd be uh, about two years ago, I became intentional about finding a black therapist. Mm, mm. And the black therapist for the reasons of relatability. Yeah. During the R. Kelly, when R. Kelly's, um, that documentary was coming yep, out, yep. I happened to be going to therapy at the same time. And I was really, really struggling with the community response, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. and the defending of him. And my therapist was white. She was probably about my age, but Mm. she was white, Mm -hmm. blonde, blue eyes. And she looked at me like, why is this bothering you so much? And I consider myself a pretty good uh, communicator. And if I could not, if it was taking me so much effort to explain to her why it bothered me, there's better ways to spend my money. Mm. And that was a psychologist at $250 an hour. Right. 
when I decided I wanted to go with a black therapist, I said, okay, I will open the gamut. I will remove my issues with, you know, designations like social worker versus. Right, right. Because budget matters too. Mm. And, you know, you can get a social, a registered social worker for half or maybe two, you know, two thirds of the price that you would pay. Yeah. For a psychologist. But the relatability matters, but also the issues you're trying to push through. And if mm. you have deeper, deeper issues, maybe a social worker through your EAP or at $140 won't be enough. Maybe you do right. need a psychologist. Maybe you need a psychiatrist with, med- with you know, um, medical support, like medication support. Yeah. Um, but I really don't think enough is provided to us as a community because of socioeconomics mm-hmm. and also our cultural issues with therapy and being upfront about mel- mental illness that we can't even discern it. Yeah. Either we're in crisis and we're going to take the first little thing that is thrown at us or, you know, we got to get talked into it, right? Mm-hmm. So I think as a community, we can even benefit from getting educated on the different types of quality of therapy out there, whether, you know, and to, to distinguish the kind of problems you should go to your work EAP program for mm. versus the kind That's of problems point. you should go to for a psychologist or a psychotherapist, like, mm. an, you know, something a little higher. There's things that are great for support groups, whether it's grief counseling, whether it's, you know, um, survivor um, groups, things like that. Yeah. Uh, through Bud Sisters, I didn't even realize it, but through lockdowns and because we were really trying hard to promote um, connecting and mental health support with each other, Mm. we organically developed a peer support group. Right, right, right. Where the same 15, 12 women every week would talk, just hold space. And it was just all we had in common is we were black, black women and we smoked. And, and and I think to your point in terms of, you know, when you get to that level of, you know, the therapist piece, you know, you talked about the connection with your mom being a social worker and, and your aversion to that. Yeah. I think for me, it was, um, you know, growing up, like, you know, when I was a young age, you know, I, 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 I don't want to do the whole, you know, I was gifted, but I, I was bored in school. You know, I did very well. And there was just that I was just like, okay, this is not. This is not stimulating me at all. Mm-hmm. And I remember I would stare at the window, just staring at the window and wish I was like, you know, sci-fi on a different planet and just doing stuff on a different planet. And, you know, the teacher would observe it and, you know, talk to my mom and, you know, my dad, you know, he just wasn't involved. Um, right. You know, very, you know, I'm the provider. Um and she was like, hey, you know, we need to take him to see something. So it was like it wasn't something in the middle. It was the overreaction or the overindexing or you're being ridiculous right. in terms of this. So, you know, when I, you know, went to, you know, my first therapist at that age, um, the person that I was, I was just, I watched a lot of movies. So I was just like, I was just going to goof off with this, you know. So when he did the Rorschach test, I would say the weirdest things ever. And then he stopped it short. And he's like, there's nothing wrong with this boy. <laughs> he knows exactly what he's doing. But then as I got older, um, you know, my mom, who, you know, was physically, emotionally, mentally abused by my dad, wanted to ensure that um, I didn't become the same way and I broke the circle. So she went, if she then started to see, you know, me being a teenage boy and teenage boys are the way they are, mm-hmm. like that was a red flag for her, right? Yeah. And, you know, she then said, hey, 
I think he needs to go talk to somebody because I'm, you know, again, there was an over-indexing she was projecting. Right. And then, but then my dad was like, because there's that feeling of um, the stigma, like he literally said, I don't want this on any of his medical records. I don't want this on the, any of his transcripts. I don't want that to be something that holds him back. He's already going to be hold, held back because of, you know, his race or whatever. So, and the thing about it is, you know, I was listening to both of them, but when I went in, then I had a black female therapist and I was a complete dick with her, right? Like, just because to me, I was, and that was my rebellious phase too. So it was like, you weren't going to tell me how to be or whatever, right? And then she like cut it short and she's like, nope, <laughs> like that's not going to happen. So going into, like going into the therapy thing, and when I was like kind of thinking through it, like up to that point, because I'm a sales guy, I was sitting there thinking, okay, if I talk to a therapist, why would they necessarily make me better, right? And when I was in, in you know, in university, it was like I was, you know, reading a lot of Freud and negative thera therapeutic theory to where it's like, if you're in therapy, you could create more problems or expose more things. And then I'm just like, well... If I'm a therapist, I'll make sure you stay in my chair and, and, and by my pool, right? Um, and I and I like so like what was like in terms of your initial piece like going in when you were look like what are the things that you were looking for going in? Yeah, and then like now, can you take us through how that evolved? So from when I first went to therapy yeah. versus now, when I first went to therapy, I took whatever anybody gave me. Mm. So I wasn't discerning at all. Right. I listened to Sway in the morning religiously on satellite radio when I used to commute. And one day he was doing an interview and I don't remember who his guest was, but they were talking about the importance of therapy and how he had just started going to a therapist for the first time in his life. Mm, yeah, I remember that. And that it was a therapist who was an older black man. And it was like mm. he said conversationally he realized he was getting conversations he thought he would have gotten from his father had he grown up with him. Right. And it mm, touched a nerve to me because I realized I wanted to find someone that was going to give me the wisdom, not just the, the critical thinking and the self-awareness that I needed, but the wisdom to see what life is going to look for me years down the line, right? Mm. Like the things that I'm freaking out over now, right? I know that I'm going to have a better time believing the credibility of a black woman who's been through it versus a white woman who's making me explain why everything bothers yeah. me. And, 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 you know, as, as I was kind of going through my selection process, I, I definitely, I, I eliminated uh, a white woman or a white man because I was like, there's, I'm going to have to explain too much, yeah. right? Especially that extra layer of a West Indian family. Yes. And trust me, growing up in the West Indies in a West Indian family, I know that I'm going to get grief for this, is very different than being born in Canada and being raised in Canada oh, with a West Indian family. Yeah. yeah. You, you know I, that. I have a different upbringing. Yeah. And, so yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a different feel. So for me, then it got into, you know, all right, well, you know, I can either talk to a black male or I can talk to a black female. And then I was like, well, if I talk to a black male, a lot of the stuff that I'm dealing with in terms of my challenges are relationships, right? So 
I don't know if I'm going to necessarily be able to talk and not, that have a male gaze or there could be confirmation bias or there's double down. But then again, I didn't want to talk to a black female because they might have been judgmental or, you know, oh, okay. whatever. So I was just in this like paralysis situation to where I had to unstick myself. So, you know, what I did was, you know, went on to... um psychology today and they have like you know the list of all the therapists and um you know i you know i started clicking on them and calling them and they were like yeah i don't do these days i can't do these days i'm not seeing anybody now and then i finally connected with one and you know i she said you know when can you come and i was like well i work and you know I, i'm gonna be all spun up from work and she usually used to have hers like during the week and then she said to me what days work for you the best and i said you know what Saturday mornings. And she's like, okay, you know what? My daughter's at soccer on Saturday mornings. I'll drop her off, come back to the office. So that for me was like, okay, she's actually bending the universe, you know, for me. And the way it was, the way it's been is like totally different from what I thought it was going to be because she does not. Um, you know, we think of, you know, somebody who's helping a therapist is, you know, they sit and listen and they take notes and you're on a couch and it's totally different. Like, you know, we're engaging, we're having good conversations. You can see where there's a thread and then she's just kind of picking off the branches, kind of just stripping everything down, but in a very constructive way, not in a deconstructive way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I found that, you know, when, you know, and she, she said to me, and I don't know if she's just saying it to me, she's like, you're my best student. Because, you know, when she would give me something to think about, it wouldn't be like, oh, crap, I forgot to do my homework. I would come back and I would have like reams and reams on my phone of like the stuff that I had to work on. Right. But I, I found that what was refreshing about it is if she needs to call me on my shit, she'll stop me. Yes. Right. And she was like, yeah, no. Um, and it's okay that if she makes her face in a certain way, if I said something or she'll be able to pick up when I get all pensive or whatever. Right. Right. But what I found is at the end of the day, she was fiercely protective of me. Um, so when I got into a situation where I'm like, "Eh, well, this person, blah, blah, blah. She's like, time out. That's not about that person. This is about you and focusing on you. Right. Right. So, um, so like going in, Mm -hmm. in terms of your expectations of therapy, like, you know, in terms of the traditional, what you see on TV, when you finally got to the point where it was, like I said, where it's really good for me, like, what did that feel like? What did that look like for you? Um, Freeing. Mm. It felt very liberating uh, because it's just, I, you know, Living in in society where you're the minority, an invisible minority, you're used to always having to explain a little bit of further context, a little bit of background, Mm. and um, having a black therapist uh, alleviated that. Absolutely. On the other hand, and then there's the colloquialisms. Like if you say something, you don't you don't usually have to explain, especially if they have a similar you know Caribbean background or similar background to mine. I don't even have to explain figure speeches. Right. Like Mm -hmm. certain colloquialisms, I'll say, don't go over her head, even cultural things. Right. Um, But also uh, the challenge is, I think when you have a black therapist, they understand the cultural challenges in this society. Right, right, right. Right. They understand it from their own lived experience. So they can they can apply that anecdotally. But also um, it makes them able to call you on 
your shit and say, okay, now you're, you're going overboard too and to make you accountable for what you can be accountable for. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, I, I don't know if you have anything else to add to this, but, you know, we're going to close off this segment. But, you know, I would say the last time I spoke to my therapist, like one of the things she said, she was like, Arnold, I'm so busy. And I was like, as a salesperson, I'm like, that's a good thing. But as, you know, a black person, I'm like, that's a good thing. Because she's like this, if it's one thing that's come out of this pandemic, and it doesn't mean she was like taking advantage of the pandemic, but she's saying it has become a forcing function. Yeah. To where black people are now, you know, saying, I have to go get help. I need help. I'm spending all this time in isolation. Um, So I'm really happy that it's happening. And I hope it continues um, to where if people get back to their normal lives, they're like, oh, I don't need this anymore. Like that that then becomes, um, you know, just just part of a growth thing. So um, CK, shout out. Not going to call your name and put your governments all in (laughs) in these streets. Um, But thank you very much for everything you do for me. Um, All right. So... It's a little heavy, but I think it was a necessary, uh, necessary conversation. Um, so we're going to mix it up. Um, I know that when Jay was in here talking about hip hop, um, you probably were cringing because you're like, oh, I want to talk about hip hop. So um, I wanted to give you the second block to talk about hip hop. Um, I will say, um, and I've, I've said this to you before, but you probably will deny that I've said it, but I will say that in terms of, the expansiveness of hip hop, you know, way more than me. Um, I am a little stunned. Ex- expansiveness, expansiveness. I am stunned. Expansiveness. I'll take any any part of it. Depth in terms of certain groups. Right. Ye- so, I'm just, I'm just saying that's it. So, <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to do, um, and and I, you know, people have probably seen these online, um, the thirty day challenges, to where you would post a song that would have evoke a different emotion or a different feeling. I personally could never do that because I gotta wait a whole month to tell you how I feel about music. Like, no, I just here's my thirty right here. How's it? How I feel? So I wanted to do kind of a well, we don't call it a lightning round, but. You know, um, just kind of throw some stuff out at you in terms of, you know, some of your favorites. Um, and <laughs> I, am, I am triggered when we talk about top five because I don't talk about top five. Notice I talk about top three and then an honorable one mm-hmm. um, because I am triggered by that movie, which I thought was an absolutely horrible movie. I Only the movie. O- only to be outdone in its being horrible as brown sugar, which I think is one of the most bloviating movies ever and the most overhyped movie, not to mention a movie because it's, it had Elf and Tay Diggs, um, the Keebler Elf, um, the only black Keebler Elf, actually. Um, so I, I, I just thought that movie could have been so much more, and it wasn't. Um, but, you know... I could say the same about Belly. Oh, my God. You really went there. I mean, I listen. The opening scene is amazing. Oh, my God. It's amazing. But the movie is not bearable. It did not hold up. I'll well. wait till Shalice gets here so we can talk about <laughs> black so you films. Can, so you can both gang but up I, on me. I, I, I just... I, I, I think... People often put brown sugar in the category of um, Love Jones and Love and Basketball. And, and 
you can't. No, it's it, not. It's not them. It is not in that category. I will agree. It's not no chemistry at all. It looked like she was dealing with somebody's son. I'm just anyway. So <laughs> it was their second movie together. How could you say they had no I chemistry? Don't know. I don't know. You didn't watch yeah. the Best Man. Oh, don't talk to me about that. He has movie. issues. <laughs> so, <laughs> Why don't you just say that your your issue is Tay Diggs? Maybe he throws the movies for you. Sure. Okay. Um, well, that was too easy. <laughs> Only because we have time constraints that I have to agree. Okay. Um, all right. So, um, are you ready for your lightning round? Yes. All right. Cool. So, I am not going to necessarily interject myself in, in any of these because I would say some of these like I started thinking about it and I was like no I don't I don't know um, so I'm gonna throw a couple out and you ca- you kind of tell me okay so favorite remix to a track what was yours no you can't do that okay like <laughs> scenario okay. you know what let me walk I'm just, that back I'm a bit. just listening no no scenario was the first, but one more chance the remix okay. is still it's and I say that because scenario as amazing as it is, the first one is the original is great too. Mm. You get into the remix and then you, you hear and if you haven't heard the original in a long time, you're like, oh my God, that's a great song too. Whereas I don't think anybody wants to fight me and say one more chance the original was a great song. It was okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the remix blew it out the park. I I I think for me, um, and I, I had one, but don't put me on the spot like that, because some of these I didn't even think about. Um but this one I like the original, but when I heard the remix, I'd rather hear the remix, the Pete Rock version of House of Pain, Jump Around. I liked it. No, it's good. It's good. I it's... didn't think the original was the original was okay, but I just liked how Pete Rock smoothed it out. No, he... he... Which he does what he does. Yes. Yes. He, he made it very... Yeah, he remixed it down. Totally. Um, all right. Cool. So, I... I I'll, I'm gonna throw a couple cities out. If you want to okay. put another city, that's fine. Yeah. Um, favorite track by an artist from Hotlanta or um, DMV. And for those of you who don't know DMV, it's not the um, Department of Motor Vehicles. It's, <laughs> it's DC, Maryland, Virginia. That whole kind of triplex. Yes. Um, so you know, favorite track by an artist, or you know, of okay. your choice. Okay. So my favorite ATL artist, because I was so literal was Elevators by Outkast. Mm. But my favorite group out of the DMV is Clips. I'm not surprised, actually. You're not? No. Oh, I'm well, not. no. You're right. Julian wouldn't even be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I can't really... I, 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 we, we need to have a whole conversation about Outkast because I'm so conflicted about them. I, I don't... I, I never got into them. I just... I don't never? know. They never clicked, and and everybody just assumed because I was so avant garde in terms of hip hop that it was like, oh yeah, outcast. I mean, they have some that I'm just like, oh yeah, like got it, prototype, yeah. like love that song. Right. But I just it just never it was never a hook. Now, um, <laughs> I I know I'm gonna I I, I favorite artist favorite track by I'm gonna say Kendrick. But I know who you're going to say to trigger me. But I'll say Kendrick, and then you insert whoever you want to okay. after that. 
Uh, you're not going to do yours? No. Okay. You, I asked right. you the question. All right. And then you so answer. I went with, okay, my favorite Kendrick is Money Trees. That's a good song. Yeah. Although swimming pools, you know why? Because Money Trees, I rap to it. Like there's very few songs I, I rap to. No, no, I, well, yeah, okay, maybe. Like, <laughs> and like, and with Money Trees, like, I even cock my finger like there's a oh, gun. Oh, Lord. And everything. It's, it's weird how it comes over me. Oh, um, I but, hope you don't do that at a stop sign when no, somebody pulls no. up next to you. <laughs> <laughs> but when the one comes up. Yeah, no. no. But um, my favorite track by Drake. Who? Yeah. What? You didn't even let me finish with, by Kendrick one. Oh, right, go. So... One that a lot of people don't know about, but like Black Boy Fly is like one of those songs where it's like every time I hear it, it's so sad. It's such a sad song and it moves me in a certain way. Um, But I think uh, These Walls, just in terms of the beat, just in terms of, you know, the... The imagery that he's using, the double entendres that he's he's using is like a really good song. And, and if you listen to Dissect in terms of the podcast, you will hear what that song is really about. Okay. Um, and that song is literally about the guy who killed his friend, gets put away in jail, and he goes and has sex with her, with the guy's girlfriend. Oh, okay. Um, so, and, you know, it's all kind of pieced together. But anyway... Right. Um, Go ahead with this Drake nonsense. Would you stop? I'm not going to have a point of reference, but maybe the one fan out there. Would you stop? There's more than one fan. And they're not all just women, but I know you're going to try to say Mm. they are. Replacement Girl. And I think it's simple. Because Replacement Girl isn't even his track. It's Trey Songs. Uh, But he he does the rap over it and he sings a bit too. And um, Dreams Money Can't Buy. Which wasn't actually released on an album. So I, I like Drake's most undercover stuff more, underground stuff. But, yeah. So I'll, I'll make a Drake connection with Kendrick. Oh. Um, Poetic Justice. Justice. I knew, well, that would have been the only one. Yeah, but he actually rips Kendrick on that track. I... I, I he showed up. He showed up for that track because he knew he had to match greatness. So that was that one shining moment in time where he was elevated and Kendrick brought out the best in him. Um, sure. But hey, as they say, a, a broken clock is right twice a day. So I will give him his shining moment in time. You know you still owe me, eh? Like you I, owe the, me the, an afternoon the, 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 of Drake nope, to convince happening. you. Never happening. Um, so, uh, Kanye, I know you're conflicted with Kanye. I'm not conflicted with him as it relates to his his artistry. Um, but. I'm not at the must throw his stuff out yet. Okay. I'm, I was near it. I was getting very close with the Trump stupidness. Oh, I thought you were going to say until he divorced Kim. No, no, I. That's his mess. I, I try not to use people's relationships against them because, you know, we all don't make great choices, right? Okay. But, um, nah. Hey, mama. Okay. Hey, mama still makes me happy. It's my mama song. Like, I mm. even played that at my wedding when I danced with Z. So, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, I, I can't tell me nothing. Oh, that's such a good one. I literally 
want to run through the wall when I hear that. That song makes me so hyped when I hear that because just how it drops, just how the beat drops and the, the lyrics that he uses in there is just one. You, did you think of one you wanted no, to No, you said hype. Now, I just gave you my favorite we're, Kanye, we're but there in, in terms, terms of, of hype. the hype one, crack music. I loved crack music by him. Okay. Um, well, that was a hype song. If we're going to talk about hype songs, I would say Addy Up oh. is one that I want to fight. I physically want to put pause on somebody every time I hear that More song. More than you don't know? Yeah. Yeah. And like even when I see the Sesame Street version, though, YouTube, I, I still want to fight. <laughs> like, it doesn't calm me down at all. But I, I, that was fun. Um, I, I'm going to go super cheesy with this next question. But, uh-huh. you know, favorite track when the weather's nice. Amory, why don't we fall in love? That I, ooh, you know what? That is a great song. It's a and summer I, song. I remember, but the thing about it is, when you said that, I remember when that song was out in the summer, and everywhere you went, you heard that. Yes. Every bar you went into, you yes. heard that. Um, no, that's that's a good song. Shout out to Amory. I I can't even believe you actually said Amory because you know my. Love for Amory. Second straight week. We're calling Amory in the, in the podcast. Amory, give me a call. Um, uh, other than that LL Cool J thing you did with Paradise, which is okay. Um, wasn't Gabrielle Union in that? I think she was in that video. Paradise. I didn't watch. I haven't watched an LL video since Love Me, Love You Better. Okay. Anyway, um, I'm going to go super, super cheesy on this one. And it's very lazy, I will admit. Mm-hmm. But Summertime... I know, but but you know what no, I but you know what I like about it is the things that he was talking about. Like that actually took me back to my teenagehood. Like cleaning your car before you go out, like that kind of stuff was like yes, I actually did that kind of stuff. Right, so it's a it's a reminiscing track. It's actually a I would call it a textbook classic. It is completely relatable. It is. Accurate, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. Instrumentally, very good sample. Like mm, it was mm. done exquisitely. Like and and that's why we're still talking about it. What thirty years, thirty three yeah, years it's, later. It's a good track, it'll, right? It'll and get and, you and on the we'll floor. still we will still run out to the floor as would anybody yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. Twenty years, thirty years from now, it just just has that that cookout feel. Yes. By the way, um, I'm going to say this for the record, and just because it's on Sally Like Now or whatever you want to call this. Jaden Smith is going to end up being a better artist than Will Smith will ever be. I'm telling you. Artist? I don't think that's too hard, though. He kind of left early. <sighs> Sorry. So what do you... He can't, he'll even be a better actor. Oh, if you want to say he'll be a better actor than he'll Will? He'll be a better everything. The kid is talent. And I think because he's quirky, people don't take him seriously. But he has an amazing voice. He has flow. He can rap. Anyway, check out his stuff. Okay. Julian turned me on to Jaden, so. Okay. Um, and I trust Julian. Oh, Lord. Um, right, because he likes Jay-Z. Um, and the Neptunes. F- who? And the Neptunes. We get into Oh, Neptunes well, yeah, too. yeah. Well, I like the Neptunes, too. Um, I, I don't really have one on this, but favorite diss track. You don't? Not really. Not really. I, I want to I, I supply something else, but go ahead. Favorite diss Jack track. Jack the Ripper. LL Cool J. Yes, Jack the Ripper, 
almost burned my ears off the first oh, time Lord. I heard it in like 1988, 89. When did I'm that type of guy? It was the Walking with a Panther album. Mm. And when I heard it, you know, you could hear who he was ripping. And I, I believe he still had that feud going with Ice-T and Cool Modi. Yeah, it it was searing for my, like, 14, 15-year-old ears. Yeah, and I, I wonder now that I think about it. it if and it's I, still angry now. Like, if you play that, it's it's still searing. Yeah, I, I, I wonder if I didn't get into diss tracks because... It wasn't the type of music that I listened to. Like, I listened to De La Soul. I listened to Tribe Called Quest. They weren't kind of, you know, Slum Village, Little Brother. They weren't kind of really dissing anybody, right? Like, De La Soul a bit in terms of the industry and certain people. But, uh, yeah, it was never kind of a thing for me. So, No Vaseline never made you like, ooh, no? no? because I wasn't, I wasn't a West Coast dude. Like, my only West Coast group that I like is Farsight. So, you didn't even like, uh, what's it called? Do What You Like? Digital Underground? I, okay. You, no, I'm, I'm saying that because you liked Farside, but you didn't like Digital Underground. I don't think which, they were the same. No, I don't think you have a Farside without some Digital Underground out there. I, well, I wasn't talking about anthology. I was just talking just about saying, like, yeah. from a derivative standpoint. It could have been an evolution thereof. Maybe. Anyway, um, I was going to not replace it with a diss track, but thinking about the... Um, when I was talking about Drake on Kendrick's, mm-hmm. I think the more popular one for that version was Eminem on Jay-Z, Jay-Z Renegade. Renegade. Right? <laughs> and I remember when I heard that the first time, even before anybody said, like, this was the track that, you know, Eminem showed up for. And I, I do think people just get more elevated, more hype. like Depending on their competition. Too. Right. Yeah. Because when... Um, when Tyler did Smuckers, like it was like him, Lil Wayne, and Kanye. Tyler did his bars. Wayne did his bars. Sorry, sorry, my apologies. Um, 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 Kanye did his bars first. Then he sent his bars to, to, to Tyler and Wayne. Then when they put it all together, he said, nope. And he came back in the studio. He actually flew out there and actually did it again harder. Well, you're bringing a great point. Let's talk about this because one of the questions was favorite group track. And we should, we can't ignore the fa- the evolution of recording. In the 90s, like remember, think about your favorite group track. And I'm not talking about scenario. I'm talking about like say Symphony. Symphony was one of the original, you know, mm. with Cool G-Rap and Big Daddy Kane and everybody. Can you imagine today those kind of songs if they got to send their verses first? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You get yeah. what I'm trying. Yeah, like yeah. the dynamic. Yeah, that's a great point. Makes it so different now. So that yeah, for you that Tyler song stands out in terms of contemporary hip hop. For me, Swagger Like Us. Oh my gosh, Swagger but, Like Us used to make me like that was one of my football prep songs, and it was one of those where they each verse progressively got grimier than the verse before. So like right. it was like there's Kanye's, then you got Jay's, then you got Ti, then you got Wayne, and then Ti just like. But here's and I'm not I'm even gonna, a fan of Pete, like Ti, and he was like smooth on it. But here's where I'm going to challenge you on that though, because as I think about it, if Wu Tang recorded today, mm-hmm. you know, to where they were all recording in that room. 
would that have been the same if everybody then did theirs separately or just send their bars in? Because I think that was a situation where they fed off of each other. Well, I agree. But it, and, and, and Wu-Tang is a progression or an evolution of the symphony type of track, Mm-mm. right? Without symphony, you don't really get into that, let's throw bars, you know, like verse after verse after right, right, verse right. through many people. Who did we see do that before? Like Run DMC, really? Like it wasn't yeah. even always successful. Yeah, yeah. Um, favorite interlude? I'm not a big hip hop interlude fan. So okay. I, mine was R and B. My choice was an R and B one. If you say Jodeci, I'm shutting Why? this down right now. Why? Go ahead. In her mission from the show, the after show, and the after party. Okay. Yes. Yes. I mean, if you listen to Ready to Die, yes, any interlude, <laughs> what, including Stay Off the Phone, Stop Calling My Daddy, that one. That was the funniest one. And I remember when every time when you had to, you played a song, there were certain ones where you had, you to, had to like to turn, turn it down, down because <laughs> someone might hear something. <laughs> turn it back up. Like I said, I, I think, and you, that's exactly why. Hip hop interludes, if you think about it, they either were, you'd have to turn them down or watch who was around you. Yeah, yeah, Or yeah. they were incredibly misogynistic. So they weren't, let's be honest, those interludes were never for me as a, as a female listener, as a woman listener of hip-hop. Right. Rarely. Right. Um, which, I mean, has it really changed? But no, not hmm. really. Um, I, I, I don't really have a reference with this one, but favorite track of favorite mixtape. Uh. Oh, Best of Me. DJ Clue, the Maya and Jay-Z remix, because it's not an original track. It's a remix. I don't know that one. I'm going to have to look. No, you do know it. I will play it for you. Best of Me, you'll know the song that Maya sings in the video she had on the Carolina Blue um, t-shirt jersey, like a a tank top jersey, Mm -hmm. and Jay-Z was behind her rapping. Yeah, the remix is not on the album. It's only on the DJ Clue mixtape. Okay. I, I... Probably if I hear it. Um, you still want to do the three features one? Because I guess I kind of did I did the two features, but three no. features is a lot. No. I mean, isn't that a group track, really? Like, yeah. Kind of just cover Yeah, it? I guess. Um, I, I would just automatically say anything Wolfgang, but, you know. I want to hear uh, your favorite simp track. I don't have one. Like You've never liked a simp track? What would be a reference point? I mean, a sim to me, a sim track is anything common. Just put in a common song. And- I need love was a sim track. Like I said, just put in anything common, and I, I as my female listenership, just craters Pl- plummets. Eh, you know, you know, people don't want women. Do not you know tolerate Lonnie slander very well. Uh, okay. I, 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 <laughs> what is your favorite? So you don't have one. Mine is no. twenty one questions. Like okay, yeah, twenty one questions. I, I would have a hard time not walking down the aisle to that song. Oh lord! <laughs> okay. I haven't met anybody that's willing to let me, but like that's the most one of the most romantic hip hop songs to me. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> I know you're I, so conflicted. I, I, uh, no, I'm trying to think now. Rom- a romantic hip hop song would be Benita Applebaum. Aww. Drive Club Quest and uh, Electric Relaxation. That, I'm just saying it's romantic. It has a nice feel. I know, you know, 
Fife is talking about mm, no, no. Siemens furniture. A simp, a simp <laughs> track no. cannot be a let me sex no. you down track. You, no, simp- you were saying romantic. You, you had kind of gone to romantic. So is that what you meant? A romantic track or a simp track? Because then I just go back track. to common as a default. Oh my God. Okay, just, so common's your default. I just, you know. I guess you could tell me I hate on him now, right? Um, this, this one's It's interchangeable weird. I, for you, you know. This, <laughs> this one's going to be completely lazy that I'm going to do, but, well, no. No, I, 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 actually, I don't have a reference point to this one. Favorite track that's over eight minutes? Uh-huh. What it has to be Can I give you Kanye? No, no, it's gotta not be a remix. Cause I originally oh, was gonna be yeah, a remix, yeah. and I'm like, no, you know what? I could do this without a remix. Mm. So which one? Smiling Faces by the Temptations. It's oh. like 13 minutes. Wait, is this non-hip-hop? What? What eight-minute <laughs> hip-hop song? With, that's not a remix. Okay, so if that's okay, then so <laughs> if we're talking about that, I was talking. So okay. it'd be George Clinton, not just Knee Deep. Oh, just because okay. I know it's just he goes on and on and on, but it just it's just one of those tracks that you could just put in and you could just leave it. Okay. Um, so Jay was here and we talked about um hip hop songs that change the game or change the game for you. So um do you want to talk about I'll give you the opportunity cuz you weren't here at that time, but do you want to talk about maybe three tracks that you know once you heard you were like never the same or you know you knew that the game had changed in terms of hip hop and if you say ghetto boys I'm going to fight you. Sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Mine's playing tricks on me. It is Great such song. a seminal classic that I don't know how that isn't a game-changing song. Mine's playing tricks on me? Yeah. It's a great song. So why wouldn't it be a game-changer? I didn't... Especially for the South. I didn't... Yeah, well, yes, coming out of the South, of course. Yes, it was different then, but I, I just didn't... Yeah, I, I didn't hear it, and I'm like... No? It was a great song. It was a great beat. I mean, I would say the storytelling and no, I don't okay. think it was that much of a storytelling, but you know, I like I said, that's why I think Mob Deep, right, in terms of storytelling, had better storytelling, yeah, than Ghetto Boys. But but you know, I have to acknowledge too, you listen to lyrics, you're lyrics driven and meaning driven way more than I am, um, and I say that knowing that you can you can spout off lyrics off the top of your head easily. I do not. I'm a beats and then vibe and then I get into the lyrics as I keep repeating repeating it. I but I see but I I like lyrics but and and Julian and I often like when we hear a song we automatically have the three criteria. It's the beat, then the flow, then the lyrics for me. Okay. Like lyrics is always third. Okay. So, but yes, if it's there, and then that's great. Well, of course, yeah. Lyrics are third for you because you love Tyler, and Tyler's <laughs> lyrics are. <laughs> but, but I don't I get mean, Tyler's lyrics. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you think about Tyler. Um, but I mean, like you know, for instance, Brendan, like he is, he is a big flow guy, mm-hmm. and you know that's why he never really liked like when I liked um, when I liked Slum Village. He was like, yeah, but. They suck in terms of flow. Yeah, but I was do. like, yeah, but I knew they did. And I was like, they would have been a super group if they didn't have Botten and, and 3T. But I was like, the beats, it was like everything to me. And I find myself, 
if I hear a good beat, but like the flow is like crap, I'd be like, okay, I'll get through it. But then you you've just justified why you put up with Slum Village then, because oh, and, yeah, I, yeah, and yeah. I'll say that yeah because yeah for sure because their lyrics I are horrible. I couldn't horrible, get horrible into too. Slum Village. I tried and I was like, I just can't get into Slum Village too hard. But Little Brother, which often gets compared to this, that is what happens when you get a group that does flow well. There, no, Little Their Brother flow. was Little Brother was hard and. I, I, you know, they still and they play off each other. Like they they complement their flows, complement each other. Yeah, and they still Slim had Village a did. they still had a, a Brooklyn or Bronx feel. Oh, they did not feel very North Carolina. But it was at the all. you could but you could there was that undercurrent of the dirty South that was in there, and they were like we're Carolina boys. They yeah. kept on yeah. you know talking about the fact that they're Carolina boys. I think their interludes really promoted that they were Carolina boys. Like, the, the the conversations and, you know what I mean? Yeah. But their their style and their production, to me, was very New York. Yeah, and, and I think there was a... I can't remember the name of the track, but um, Big Daddy Kane said, um, like, damn, I found New York in the South. Like, you know, and I was like, that just kind of just flowed into that. I was like, okay, that was cool. Yeah. Um Anything else you wanted to throw out? Random thoughts in terms of hip hop. This is you know what, dude. The list made me realize whenever it's a song that makes me amp or want to beat something or pump something out, it's Jay Z. Like, I was just yeah. gonna say in terms of your spin classes. Yes. Um, what would have been? Well, and it's interesting because it depended on the audience. When my my say spinners customers were mostly white, I would. I would put in my J, but PSA. And, mm. you know, I, I would try to, like, talk over when he's saying the N-word. Yes, and, yes. <laughs> I, like, and I knew the timing perfectly well. Oh, and bad. But he's still that, he gets you up out of your seat. And so even, like, I used to have, a, I have a weights playlist and I have a cardio playlist. He is littered through my weights playlist. Him mm. and T Pain and Auto Tune. I don't know why, but yeah, and but question. I could not answer that Auto Tune song, which is interesting. I didn't. I wasn't comfortable trying to answer yeah. that question because it's like I don't really, I don't like Auto Tune in hip hop. It's just T Pain singing. I don't want to hear a rapper. Okay, we've gone too deep now, and probably people have just turned off. This <laughs> anyway, um, so this is cool. Um, I uh, I hope you have a great four twenty. Thank you. Um, so uh, thanks, guys, for signing. I, I hope that, you know, with the first part, you know, I think it was a, it was a really important thing in terms of awareness, and I really wanted to talk about it. Um, I'm going to have to probably let my people know that I had this conversation <laughs> before it gets posted, just to say FYI, all our business out in the streets. But I think they would appreciate it um, in terms of knowing that, that something could, good could possibly be coming out of it. Um, and I think the levity part in terms of the, the hip-hop piece was good because um, you shown your depth in terms of your hip-hop and, or your range. In but terms of you didn't talk about your loves enough because I noticed no. you didn't talk about Return of the Mac. How are you going to go through oh, a whole discussion and never bring up that song? Because you torture Shalise and I about it. I, I can't. The whole point of this was for us to have a meeting, discuss the stuff. And <laughs> I, I look. I, I like the song. So and where I, does it fit in all of this? This it fits as we will have to have. A, a reboot with Shalice of I don't dance a lot. I don't go on the floor a lot. 
But what are the songs that'll get me on the floor? What are the songs that would get me to pull my girlfriend on the floor and say, let's go? We can talk about that one. And yeah, so that that could be one. Stay tuned. Uh, yes. Um, so thank you very much for signing in for another week. I, I just want to say to my India crew, you've now taken over Canada and the U.S. as my biggest listener base. So shout out, props, big up India. Big up. Um, so, um, and I'm going to start looking at the cities and then start shouting out the cities because I think we're going to be huge over there. So anyway, um, thank you very much for another week. Uh, Chris, Jamie, uh, thank you. Um, 1990 Studios, is the, it's where it's at. Um, and for another week, signing off. See y'all later. Thank you.